And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. On today's episode of Glue Guys, wow, a packed, packed show. Brian is the point guard. I am the shooting guard on this adventure, and we're going to talk about that Kings game, even though some of you are going to be listening to this in the Suns game. Andre Drummond news, Blake Griffin news, and we will be joined by Jovan Buha, Lakers reporter for The Athletic, to talk about the Lakers-Nets NBA Finals preview match. That's a big show, Mike. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuysNetsDaily.com. The Athletic. Get yourself behind that paywall. $4 a month. That's nothing. That's nothing. You spend more on that in parking tickets. Yeah. Way more. Um, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Way more. <laughs> iTunes. Five stars. We need them. We want to have had them. We, we love reading them. I read them every night before I go to sleep to pr- bring myself Those positive energy. Brian, how are you? All in all, everything, <laughs> all things considered, pretty good. No, come on. We're doing well. The Nets have been fun to watch again. We've been blowing out people like we thought we would. Um, Three-game winning streak. You know, it's all good. There is a lot to actually talk about okay. involving this team. We're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. So if you're listening to us after the Suns game, uh, we apologize. We missed some of that. But I think what we're going to talk about is going to pertain to so many people but let's start here brian mm-hmm. issue number one oh on the glue guys rundown good is that king's game huh that king's game how about that um, king's, how about that warriors game i mean how about that pacers how about that, game how about just like the nets being good at basketball mm-hmm. uh type game where are you emotionally with this team right now because i feel like you're in a very positive place i've been thinking about this like in general would you say that you've had a lot of fun watching the team this season up to this point like has this been a fun season for you I would say this. I think the most fun thing, and next week we're going to do a sort of like, I love you, I hate you list. Uh, We're going to rank. This is a fun episode, and we want everyone to please email us and send in your own rankings, netspod at gmail.com. Our favorite, our our most beloved Nets right now to our least beloved. I would say like Harden, Harden by himself almost, has injected so much joy to me in watching this team because he is so much fun to watch in this current version of James Harden. I don't know what the comparable is. What was like an actor in Hollywood who was absolutely hated? We all hated this person. And then he started to do roles and we're all like, that guy is a lovable schlub. I wouldn't say that we hated him, but we maybe thought he was like a, like a, I don't know, like not as cool as we thought, but the McConaissance, you know, there was the, mm. ma- the McConaissance of a couple of years ago might be. Might be Chef's kiss at. to yeah. you, my friend. Uh, <laughs> certainly we're, we're in a hard renaissance. He has been, I tweeted this out. I think it's under discussed how good he has been. And this is not just Nets pod centric BS with it immediately since joining the team, he's become distributor, 
bro, fit into the team, bro, not as dribbly, dribbly, more as drivey, drivey. And I love it. And obviously there's the famous, now famous quote that Kyrie, I think it was Kyrie had, or was it Harden, which is essentially like they had a conversation about who should be the point guard. And Kyrie said to Harden, you be the point guard, I'll be the shooting guard. And as silly as that is, that, that it's silly as like that kind of discussion, it plays out and Harden deserves to be the point guard. I've absolutely loved it. I, well, this has been interesting because I feel like people have been really like picked up on on that. Like, um, I don't know why. I mean, I guess I do know why. Like that that seems like a very news article. Like some like one of my not super Nets or like basketball watching friends hit me up. He was like, "Did Kyrie really say that he was going to be the shooting guard? Like, was that big?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's got a weird uh, ripple effect to people. Uh, I don't know. Maybe have this like warped sense of how important these positions are, um, especially like maybe today. That didn't register for me that much. But then it was interesting for last night at the end of the game. DeAndre Jordan like yelled into the mic. Did you see this after like Kyrie yes. was doing this thing, which, which was great. Which I was actually like it. And I yeah. wondered if that was a a meme about how comparatively not important that whole thing was, or <laughs> I, I don't know if he was if he was um being that self-aware in that moment or i can't tell um but but yeah um that that part of it i mean if 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 it needed to be designated more clearly for people um and then that's what's been clearing up some of our confusion where i didn't really think there was any maybe yeah i guess that's helpful and a good thing um but it didn't seem like a big deal to me we're gonna pop around a bunch because there's a bunch of different stuff to go on but i'll hit one more thing to hit on the king's game and really it's a larger point landry shamit um sure boy Landry Shamit in the last 10 games, 11 points and 39% from three, 21 minutes per game. Not amazing, but that's mm. the that's all that they ever really desired and wanted out of him against the Kings. He had 13 points. He, he shot 43% from three. That's like that's all we need from Landry Shamit, mm-hmm. right? Like what what else could we desire out of a spot and him playing well? like greatly alleviates the bench in a big way. Nobody was expecting that. Nobody specifically, nobody on our discord was calling that, <laughs> calling that out. So um, just kidding. Some people, there's, there's been a, a war on the discord. Shout out to the discord, by the way, it's link in the Twitter bio per, per usual. The, the Shamit stuff has been interesting. People, people have um, given him the divisive treatment. You know, people are falling on, on sides. It's basically DeAndre Jordan than Landry Shamit as it, Nets fans most wanted. Yeah, list. It, it's not quite as it's not quite as hostile as the Reggie Evans uh, era of of uh, the Civil <laughs> that was War. Just you personally, <laughs> that was a personal. I, I felt the first very Nets thing I knew about about Brian bef- besides his love for like Kenyon Martin right. was his hate for Reggie Evans. Right. And they were kind of similar players, which is what it is an interesting parallel there. Uh, well, and the PG, the PJ Carlissimo combination was it was a special. <laughs> it was a it was a difficult time, um, <laughs> but we made it through. Uh, what were we talking about? I don't know. Yeah, so the Shamit stuff has been great, and you're absolutely right. Just getting a little of that bench production, like TLC was doing that to begin with, and then I feel like they've been sort of taking turns being being on in a kind of frustrating way. And sometimes they're neither of them have been on, which hasn't been good, but yeah, consistent role players. It's a hard, hard thing to find. I feel like we haven't had a real consistent. I mean, like the ones that are consistent kind of get elevated to the point of Joe Harris's right. Which is, you know, beyond role player status. Um, or like Bruce Brown, who goes from DNPs to starting. Yeah. I mean, you know, how did you, how did you like the, the Bruce Brown starting center experience? Was that, <laughs> was that good so for you? Silly. It's, it's it so worked. Silly. It, it crushed. I know. And it's so just, you know, I'll give, this is like probably Nash's greatest 
like skills so far as a coach because I don't know like maybe he's like this amazing locker room manager. I would imagine that's what he is actually good at. But there's nothing that Nash won't do, right? As a coach. Like it seems like he has no conventions when he wants a team to play with connectivity. It's mm. his favorite word. You know, he's the Nokia coach. He likes connectivity. Right. You like that reference? Um but sorry. Uh but <laughs> the thing that one of the greatest things about him is that he's willing to try shit. Mm. And Bruce Brown as starting, essentially starting center, is trying shit. That's right. Some stuff. You're I mean, it. obviously he wasn't guarding the paint. He wasn't in drop coverage like Brooke Lopez with the Milwaukee Bucks. But the 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 space of the floor that he operates at times is like he's the guy guarding a big down low at like randomly at times he'll be switched on. You know, we've been Bruce Brown advocates mm-hmm. on this show. This team is such, you know, Mayor de Blasio was elected on, originally elected. Okay. Brian's face is like, where the mm-hmm. fuck, where is this going to go? It was he, just such a good camp- pivot. Yeah. He campaigned on like the tale of two cities, right? That, you know, in New York City, there's the ultra rich who have this lifestyle and then everyone else. Um, the Nets themselves are kind of like that. I mean, that you right. know, it's right. Durant, Irving, and no, you're right. Harden. It's a, it's a de Blasio. And, yeah. And then Bruce Brown. In the starting lineup, it's tale like of two it. cities. Yeah, but Bruce Brown has been so he, okay. This is his game against the Kings, and I mean, obviously, he's off his son's game. But he had three points, a block, three steals, an assist, and two rebounds. Right, like that's nothing. But the things that he does on the floor is so helpful for this team. Mm. I've been saying it since day one. He goes to places on the floor that that just like Harden, Durant, and Kyrie will never occupy. The offensive rebounding spots, the the gritty sort of below the basket type areas. Gritty is exactly what it is. There's sort of an interesting phenomenon with Bruce Brown because he he cuts to the basket like his life depends on it because it does because he can't shoot. <laughs> so, so there's, it's not like a, you know, Shamit for me, it feels like a guy who's always trying to drift further out because he wants to be shooting threes. And it's the same with everybody. But it is nice to have at least one guy who, who, cuts to the rim like like his whole career is on the line um that is how he operates man. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is i mean the, the thing is so this is uh this is bruce brown's stat line just because like it's hard when you watch him you don't think about statistics he's just not that kind of guy no, yeah. he's shooting 18 percent from three and i would have to think those eight that that 18 percent is on all open threes right like when is bruce brown just pulled up and jacked up a three no he's probably taking like 12 a year it's <laughs> also yeah. far this year but he won't provide the offense which kind of leads us into the nets new signing andre roberson dre uh the nets have signed him if if you don't remember him he was like the ultra defense no offense wing from the oklahoma city thunder he played with durant um harden was traded before roberson joined the team but he played with kevin durant in okc He's, I think his sister, is it his sister is Spencer yeah, Dinwiddie's? Long time SO, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of been a, a signing that everyone was kind of anticipating for a while because of his connection to the Nets and also like what he could bring to the team. Are you excited for Mr. Roberson? I feel like he's a necessary piece to kind of explore just because of his defensive potential. Well, I kind of liked, I mean, sort of why I wanted to segue into from the Golden State starting Bruce Brown at center conversation into into now that we have, we've gotten, um, Norville has has um, been excused briefly here. 
um with, with we were talking about this too on the uh in the discord um whereas you know there's a lot of con- we spent a lot of time talking about norval pell yeah so norval pell uh we talked about him a lot and played all of nine minutes um and then that was that um we are seeming to get deeper and deeper at the wings spencer dinwiddie still seems to be like waiting in the wings for some um like you know amazing comeback which would be great and cool, but like we are super getting super deep, like especially these defensive wing positions with Shumpert and and now Ruberson. Um, seems to me to suggest like we're just and and starting also Bruce Brown in place of um, DeAndre Jordan seems to suggest we're feeling more and more comfortable about going smaller and smaller at those center positions and playing faster, quadrupling down even on just out offensing people to exhaustion and having them just quit by the fourth quarter i mean that's a that's a cool strategy i'm into it uh i think the data set needs to be a a little bit bigger before we can decide that that's like definitely what we are going to be able to do um but yeah i mean i was just like and going back to last night too like in the moments where we were starting to like kind of let the kings back into the game it was because we kind of like let whiteside and deandre jordan go at it and things like that like in a <laughs> in a way or like you know like when the game slows down and and gets a little bit into that like that style of pick and roll mode like there's great moments and it and it works at times and it's definitely a weapon worth having but i'm sort of interested to see how it's becoming slowly and slowly you know more de- deprioritized as we go into the season here yeah because ultimately you want norvell pell if you if that's the guy that you want only in an NBA playoffs matchup against the Sixers or the Bucks. The Nets, and this is goes back to the Steve Nash not really caring about convention thing. The Nets probably just realize, you know, hey, we have three of the greatest perimeter scorers in NBA history on our team. DeAndre is DeAndre. He is reliable and you know he will give you his 10 and 8 every game. What's better for us, Norvell Pell playing 15 minutes a game or 10 minutes a game or getting like maybe like a couple Roberson games or he's playing 20 minutes a game and we're learning if he's a lockdown wing defender. Amon Shumpert, the same deal. Nick Claxton almost probably is coming back pretty soon, I would think, too, which may be part of the equation where it's like and they have Von Lights. Like if you're going to keep having these bigs and you dump Pell, you pick up Roberson, get a wing because. You could play Vonley if you needed to. Claxton, I think, is going to get some run. I think they're in an experiment with him mm-hmm. in a little bit of a way. You know, we haven't seen Amon Shumpert yet. He he joined the team and hurt his hamstring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, it's the curse of Jamal Crawford. Mm. Jamal Crawford joins the team, hurts the same. Didn't also, like, Michael Beasley get hurt immediately upon joining the team before going to the bubble? Or did he have COVID? COVID? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the same. Kind of the same thing. (laughs) Hammy, COVID, (laughs) same issue. Um, But let's do this. Let's take a quick break. And coming back, we're going to do a quick thing about Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, and Draymond Green. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, Brian, so we had some news mm-hmm. for everyone. There, there's one player that, even though the Nets have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, there is still a desire for more, for more talent. This team needs more talent. <laughs> and Andre Drummond is a mm-hmm. guy that everyone has been lusting after. Not everyone, most yeah. people. 
And so from Sham Sharania from The Athletic reported that the Cavaliers and Raptors are investigating a trade where Drummond would go to the Raptors. His $29 million salary mm-hmm. would go to the Raptors and the Raptors would have to like give up actually some good players. Yeah. In, in back. So it kind of feels like an iffy proposition. Woj is reporting that uh, there's no serious trade on the market for Drummond, regardless of what the truth is. There seems to be a desire to make it seem like that Drummond is available via trade. He has been pulled from the team, I believe. Um, he's not playing anymore from the team. The team is working to basically figure out his next destination, and they're not having him play anymore. Let me just ask you this. There's a lot of potential bigs that could be on this team. We, you and I, have seen Drummond for many years. We've both been impressed about his back hair mm. um, on his shoulders, his shoulder hair. And his game is I like fine his legs enough. Too. He's got nice legs. Big legs. Yeah, his be- beautiful yeah. legs. Beautiful legs. How desperate are you? Like, would you be heartbroken <laughs> if Drummond isn't a net? And he'd only become a net in a buyout situation. But how desperate would you need, would you be if he didn't become a net? I'm kind of like really fascinated by by Drummond and his inability to like, I, I don't know, his his reputation seems really bad as like an on-court product. Like, I, you know, off-court, I don't have any reason to believe he's like a malcontent or whatever necessarily but he like his production has been very consistent since you know he was incredibly young it's like you can basically expect the same results and now on a second team he's averaging almost exactly the same thing so it's a it's a pretty known quantity we're gonna get and those numbers are are generally pretty covetable um and yet people just don't seem to want andre drummond in the same way that you would want a guy with those types of stats this is sort of like more of a question, I guess. This is like, what, why, like, why is that? What, what am I missing about Andre Drummond that people just gen- generally don't don't feel like he's like a part of a like a core? I mean, like he he the way that I sort of see him is like he's been playing on bad teams for a while now, um, and doesn't even seem to be like a sort of a core member of those bad teams. Like he's playing, you know, sub thirty minutes on Cleveland the last two years. Uh, you know, obviously missing a bunch of games on his way out. Um, I don't know what what's. What's the deal with Andre Drummond? Like, why is it that he isn't a as covetable as someone with like seventeen and fifteen rebounds a game, seventeen points and fifteen rebounds a game? Like, that should be pretty eye poppingly attractive for people. I think it's just the sort of the Dwight Howardness, you know, of Andre Drummond, and I mean it in the sense of that, like, from what I heard about Drummond and what I've watched him over the years, like, if you just look at his basketball reference, you would think that this guy is a Hall of Famer, like, legitimately, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's about one and a half to two blocks a game. He's led the league in rebounding four seasons. He averages about 17 points. Like, that's – if you transported him back to the 80s, everyone would be mm-hmm. in love with him. It, it's like the whole, like, desire of post-ups, right? And this is such a big, big thing that the media elites mm. hate. Any player that likes to do post-ups it must be a, a bad person, essentially, yeah, right? right? And Drummond does desire to be given the ball in situations and to score. I mean, he's averaging 15 field goal attempts this season on a Cavs team that has two guards that, you know, are young guards who are shooting the ball a lot themselves. Um, he's only shooting – he's shooting sub – 50% from the field yeah. from two pointers, which is horrible for, for it's also just 25 games in the first time in his career. It could be a bit of a, I just want to highlight that that's maybe it, small it, sample it size be. theater. Yeah. Sure. But that's for a guy that big, right? 
like think about Jared Allen. We we've observed Jared Allen for many years, and sort of the you know underappreciated element of Jared Allen's game was that he never ever cared about po- posting up. You know, like they never threw him the ball on the block and let Jared Allen cook. Drummond is a chef at one of those like lunch places in Manhattan where like a thousand people come in for two minutes to get their lunch and get out. Drummond wants to cook. He wants to be on the grill. He wants to be down there on the block cooking up some paninis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, again, shooting sub 50% from two point percentage being that big is is bad. Now, again, I know, yeah, statistically over his career, that's not who he is, but he still is. So what that indicates is that's post-ups. Post-ups are an inefficient shot at this point in his career, and that's what he desires. The thing that I would say about him, I don't know him personally. I'm not in a, a text thread with him. I don't have him on WhatsApp or Slack, mm-hmm. which are communication apps. Sure. But I would imagine if he is bought out and he's given $20 million to go away from the Cavaliers, that the next team... Uh, he looks for it's probably like a, a situation where he can be featured and win fucking championship so, right so featured is where that's i think where maybe the my imagination is like scary not, well yeah a little well i don't know i don't know if that's like the natural fit because I, like here's how i would like love an andre drummond to work on this team and yes. it's it's possible that he just doesn't like he is not going to play nice with this idea um, but like, okay, you can start Andre and then like at the eight minute mark of the first quarter, you're going to come out and then you're not going to come back in until like the eight minute, maybe of the second quarter. And you're going to go beat up some like, you know, backup centers and things like that. Like as like a, a, a that's where you get your offensive looks. Um, but <clears throat> you know, for the most part, well, this goes into like a larger question about like, is his post defense good? Is he the guy that you could put on Joel Embiid and expect good results from like, what are his career kind of like? What's the what's the the skinny on him defensively against like you know elite offensive centers? Because that's really what we're looking for. If if there's any like reason to go after a big right now, it's because there's still this hanging lingering meme about we can't guard Joel Embiid. Fine, I get it. Right. So let me put these guys in a bucket for you. Okay. okay? So Andre Drummond could be available. He could be bought out. If he's not bought out, you know, if he's actually traded for the Raptors, the belief is that Aaron Baines would be one of the guys that would be going to Cleveland. Now, Cleveland, I mean, again, they have so many centers, and Jared Allen is now the future center of the Cleveland Cavaliers. You saw, you saw that little fight he got into last night with Colin Sexton? Who? He got into a, a, a screaming match. A bit, Jared a, Allen? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What? I'll send you the I'm video. Um, but yeah. as I continue to look it up, uh, Colin Sexton. That's amazing. What yeah. happened? Yeah. Well, he got they got like confused on a switch or something, and they started to get chippy. And Jared Allen just began to like completely flex on him. He's like, dude, I just played two years with, uh, you know, being coached by Kevin Durant and playing alongside some of the best. You don't tell me anything. I played with great guards. Leave me alone. He didn't say that. I, I'm that's paraphrasing. But they got they got screwed up on us on us oh, who was switching I, off on on who in a in a. There's still a, there's still like a nice boy. Uh, like a uh, sort of posture to Jared Allen. I'm watching it right now. And like, it's still sort of like he's, he's being questioned about whether the motherboard that he installed properly on his computer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, Is I, that think the thing it, I think of it more did? like that. It felt like more like yelling at his mom or something. That was like, a, <laughs> <laughs> you know, something like that. But let me add. Okay. So the, bu- let me get back to the bucket. Okay. Aaron Baines, Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin could potentially be bought out and see what we're going to talk about. Um, JaVale McGee. 
rank them for me. Who like to me, Drummond has to be number one, even though like we've seen JaVale McGee be like a rotational big on a championship team. I would still put Andre Drummond number one over anyone else. Yeah. Um, I don't know enough about Baines. Is I mean, honestly, like that's where you know I keep going back to just like the one. If we're gonna do anything, it's because the stupid Joel Embiid talking point is you know gonna gonna haunt us. And if we get into a close playoff matchup with them, um, <clears throat> yeah, that is a little scary. So if Andre Drummond is the best version of that, with like, and he can tamp temper his excitement about getting post looks briefly for for just a freaking second calm down andre okay just mm. just chill out <laughs> you don't need all those post looks um and those should be going to bruce brown anyways um just kidding is is aaron baines or javel mcgee or any of those three do they are they stand out you know defensive big men against against the people that we need to beat to get to the finals i i think they're i think baines so baines is his shooting is cratered so everyone thinks of him he had this like a uh, amazing season in phoenix where he's shooting like 35 percent from three as the center and kind of came out of nowhere, his shooting is cratered. Defensively, all I'm looking for is just a guy to make it difficult for Embiid if Embiid's going to go down low in the post. That's I, all I need. Can I say something crazy then? I mean, Alex Sturm, shout out to your boy, is, had, did a, a nice film study on Nets Daily about James Harden's post defense, a thing that we've been talking about and has been <laughs> no, no, like... No, 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 Brian, I'm do not, not go down the road that James Harden's going to guard Joel Embiid in the okay, post. so... Don't so, you do that. Uh, of, of the DeAndre Jordan verse, like of the people who we want to be defending Joel Embiid in the post, like, so here's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear it. I'm, I'll, drink, I, I'll drink my tea over here. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying if, if there aren't like a marked improvement, a marked improvement over what we already have in that, in that department, I'm not that interested. I'm really, I, I, I could, I could go a lot of different ways and I would, I'm not f- afraid of throwing weird looks at, at Joel Embiid to keep him guessing with, you know, even our undersized and weird, you know, defensive mixing and matching with people like, I know it's sacrilege, but throw a couple looks at him with James Harden to mix it up. Throw a couple <laughs> looks at him. I'm just saying, Brian. Look, I'm not saying that that's he's a Joel Embiid stopper. I'm saying what you do is do like you know, <laughs> pick him up with a couple of different guys over the course of a series. But if you're getting if you're getting Andre Drummond to be like a stopper of other people's bigs, I get that. But if if, if that's not the dream, that that's not what you're doing. I don't I don't much get the point of having another guy who's horny for touches that he's not going to get. That's not. Right. I don't think so. I want to correct this for the record. I don't think Drum is going to be horny for touches. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I'll, I'll go. In the, I'll you can make that a t-shirt. Drummond not horny for touches. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think th- there's going to be this effect that happens, particularly for any buyout candidate, right? Where if they're going to join the Nets, they they're going to know going in what the deal is going to be. Durant, Irving, and Harden are going to get all the touches. They're going to get all the shots. Joe Harris is going to get all the like ancillary offensive plays. If Drummond's joining the Nets, he's going to be under, he's going to understand that like the, all he's going to be is what Dwight Howard was last year on the Lakers. And I actually think he can be better than that. Drummond's still a much better player than Dwight and not as much of a sort of malcontent, locker room malcontent as Dwight Howard has been in the past. So I think if Drummond comes to the Nets, he's going to understand he's not getting five post-up touches a game. Just not, it's not happening. And if it does, they'll cut him. Because they have no money to commit. The only thing that they can offer, which is a nice thing, they have the Spencer Dinwiddie designated player exemption or disabled player exemption, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about $5 million, 
which is significantly more than a minimum. And most teams can only offer a minimum at this point. Maybe the tax player, payer mid-level or whatever is that. that. So I, I think if Drummond comes here, he's going to understand that he's not getting post-up touches. And if we're getting a non-post-up touch Drummond, that's who I want. Um, one last thing before we yep. get to our interview with Jovan Buha. Uh, there was the thing that popped around the internet last night, last night being Monday night, involving Draymond Green. And he was kind of going in on uh, the Drummond situation that Drummond was been pulled from the lineup because the Cavs are looking for a way to get him out of the team. And he was also talking about James Harden's situation. I'll play a little bit of it, and then Brian and I are gonna are gonna hit on it as we talk. The game, uh, sit on the sideline, then go to the back, and then come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him. It's bull. Because when James Harden asked for a trade and essentially dogged it, I don't think there was no surprise or no, you know, there's no one's going to fight back that James was dogging it his last days in Houston. But he was castrated for one to go to a different team and everybody destroyed that man. Okay, I'll stop right there. Um, one, castrated, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful uses. Was he looking for castigated? Is that, yeah, castigated. Well, I, I think I think castigated would probably be more the word, but castigated also kind of works. <laughs> it works. I mean, it's, it's it's a nice mm-hmm. image. Um, so Draymond basically goes on and talks about how there's a double standard that, like, if players want to move, everyone yells at them and hates them and says they're selfish. But when teams want to move a guy, there's, like, no consideration for that guy. Now, you had some thoughts overall about mm. Mr. Draymond's Thing. What did you pick up from? I mean, anyone can see this is probably across social media. Someone has seen it. What did you think about this? I have like uh, I keep going back to this interesting kind of like I don't know. It feels to me that there's more of a give and take with this than people often realize. And and Draymond's like not incorrect here. So I want to preface it by saying like I I pretty much agree with him in terms of how like humans are processing this and how it's kind of colored in the media, so on and so forth. Coastal media elite, you understand. Um, but there is a other side of that point a little bit where, you know, when you do accept the absolute maximum amount of money you could ostensibly get paid, you you are sacrificing a certain amount of flexibility or or you know things you can leverage if you don't play up to that contract for whatever reason. Not to say that Andre Drummond, I'm just talking about hypothetically, broadly speaking, blah, 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 blah. Um, you you are you're playing a slightly you're leveraging something um, that's important maybe to some people, which is to say I get to determine where I go with, you know, my career in terms of where I locate my family, so on and so forth. If you accept every every maximum cent you can possibly extract from from you know, that that, you know, contract negotiation, you might be putting yourself in a position where downstream you're going to lose some ability to call your shots if you don't play up to that contract. Um, so I do want to like just kind of color that conversation a little bit with some of that thought which is like there is options in there where you can, you know, I, I, I'm of the mind where take all the money for, for sure. Go go get that money, knowing that that does put you in an awkward position potentially down the line. You know, that's a thing. But I feel like people do need to know that. But that's also to say, I think he's gen- generally right about like this particular situation. Um, like the way that people interpret this stuff is always like really, um, I don't know, like pro- they project all kinds of weird stuff. I don't know. It's just, it gets really like hairy about who people are at their core and things like that. And like, is like, you know, are these bad people or whatever? It's just like, it's so, um, 
it's so heightened in an unnecessary way for for me. <laughs> um, but that's how you know that's that's how that's how we sell the tickets, Mike. That's how we get people to come to the show. Yeah, I think the one thing that I, I mean, Dr- Draymond has a history of like he just likes to talk, and as mm-hmm. he should. And I I agree mostly with what he said. It's kind of an awkward time for him to to bring. Uh, this up, I understand why it was spurred on by the Andre Drummond thing. He also was very mad at Kevin Durant for Durant deciding where he'd want to go. Of course. Right? Famously was very mad at Kevin Durant that final season that Durant was wanting to make a decision where he wanted to go. And Draymond called him out on the floor specifically about that. And it lingered over that team all year. So maybe there's like a little little uh, double standard there from Mr. Green, but the one thing I will say, and this is the net centric point of view of what he said. So we played the part about James Harden asking for a trade and that uh, he got castrated mm. uh, for doing so. Um, Harden asked for the trade, gosh, I mean, many weeks before the season, right? Like we, yeah, we, were we knew that it. James Harden yeah. won and out. And he's specifically, the reporting was that he wanted to go to Brooklyn or Philly, but mostly Brooklyn. We, we had some people kind of hanging their head out on the line too. Cause you know, they were saying that this is going to happen, um, you know, at the time and it, and it didn't, but it's like behind the scenes, I think people were hearing some stuff, Mike. Yeah. So, and, and so Harden does what he does and he, you know, he didn't have to go to strip clubs. He didn't have to do, have this like public tour where he's throwing out bags of cash to people while he's supposed to be a training camp, like flouting COVID protocols, like all that stuff. Right. He maybe didn't handle that. Well, he did not handle that well. But I will say, like, you know, people were trying to destroy him. They were castrating him, as Draymond <laughs> Green says, um, for, like, being – looking overweight, which he probably was and maybe still kind of is, and for not giving full effort. But but Harden warned the world many weeks before the season that he didn't want to be there, you know? And, and so he tried to do it the mostly right way. And what happened was the team wanted to extract as much value as they could out of the asset that was James Harden, and it dragged on, and it put Harden in a position where he had to play for the team that didn't want to play for. Now, he's under contract to do so. He's getting paid maximum dollars to do so. And so, like, no one's feeling bad for James Harden to do that. But I just think, I thought even at the time it was interesting, like, we're going to make fun of James Harden uh, for not like being fully bought into a situation when he had already warned the world that he didn't want to be there. And so I do think that is from Draymond, what Draymond says, and there's a lot that goes into what Draymond said. I think that is true. It's like, yeah, you know, if, if a guy is telling you specifically, I don't want to be here. doesn't mean you have to immediately trade him, but I actually support the, like, don't have Andre Drummond play thing. Like I support, like basically be like, okay, then we won't play you and we'll figure this out. The Blake Griffin, what they're doing with Blake Griffin in Detroit. We won't play it, play you, and we're just going to figure it out. Because yeah. the other way is that you're going to get big, fat James Harden I, pulling I, up his britches and, and looking fat. And also there's this like interesting thing where this stuff is it, – it seems very um, all-encompassing at the time, like the James Harden – fervor was was at you know at an all-time high there not too long ago and now nobody cares i don't think anybody's like i mean like exactly people are like draymond's reminding us all of the thing that happened i mean this was like a you know what a, two months ago less um where where that trade happened and like nobody's talking about anything related to his houston rockets ten, tenure and he's like having to remind us of how that was all going while we you know address this you know under Drummond situation um so there's also the, you know the media 
and we as people have goldfish memories where it you know where hot takes are hot takes are cheap and they don't follow you around that much nobody really is going to dig too deep on your twitter timeline to to say like your your hot take on james harden how he was acting during that time is aged poorly um for the most part so yeah i mean that's i guess it, with everything i always just say you know deep breaths take it take a step back it's not as <laughs> it's it's not it's never as serious as we think at the time and, and and so it's funny that you do mention that no one holds it against him. I was listening to a Bill Simmons podcast, which I and I know like that triggers a lot of Nets fans to say that because they know what comes from that. Where Bill Simmons was talking about how Harden shouldn't be a, an All Star game starter because of what he did earlier in the season. When it's like, I mean, I think that whole like, I just go back to the whole thing again where Harden tried to warn the world that he didn't want to be there. Now the whole situation screwed up. He yeah. called for the Chris Paul trade, and then he called for the Russell Westbrook trade, and the whole organization was built around him. I get all that. He didn't want to be there. And then the Rockets literally were telling the media that we're willing to get uncomfortable. That's what they said when they knew that Harden wanted to be traded, and they decided to hold on to him. They were like, we're willing to let it get uncomfortable. Well, so then Harden yeah. just was like, yeah, I'll, I'll make it uncomfortable. There's also like certain, I mean, like I was just rewatching parts of the last dance again, weirdly, um, just going back. And like the reason at the end of that, where, you know, Michael Jordan is like about to implode the whole situation is because he doesn't want to be there for another rebuild. He just doesn't, he was like, I, you know, I'm old ish now I've done a lot. I don't, <clears throat> I'm not that interested in, in it's a, it's a long season. It's a grind. It's a lot of travel. And if we're not winning championships at, at my age and stature, like that's just not worth it to me. And nobody cares about it for Michael Jordan because he's already done a fair amount of winning and blah, 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 blah. And I get that that's not an obviously parallel situation, but I think, you know, there's certain allowances we give guys who've already gone out and done it and all this stuff that it's just like, it's, there's a whole lot of moving parts there, I guess. Well, coming up, we're going to have an interview with Jovan Buha, Lakers beat reporter for The Athletic. We're going to talk about the upcoming Lakers-Nets matchup, possibly a preview of the NBA Finals. Wow. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Joining me now is Jovan Buha. Jovan is the Lakers reporter for The Athletic. Jovan, you are covering uh, the reigning champion, Los Angeles Lakers. But the team, I mean, we should start with sort of the big news that has been following this team right now is have to do with Anthony Davis's health. What do we know about what's going on with Anthony Davis and his Achilles and his calf? What do we know right now? So he has a sore right calf, and uh, the, you know the, the official word from the team is that he's going to miss uh, Tuesday's game against the Timberwolves, and then be re- uh, reevaluated once LA returns uh, to, to face the Nets on Thursday. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems like fr- from what's been reported and, and you know what I've heard and just everything, like he's going to be out through the All Star break. Um, it, it just makes the most sense to sit him. Uh, let him rest and, and rehab and recover and come back for a, a post-All-Star break surge in, in mid-March. Uh, so, uh, you know, it sounds like he's going to miss the next three and a half weeks or so. And, um, you know, that, that, that is a blow for the Lakers because he had, he's had he been up and down this season by his standards. You know, of course, he's still putting up, you know, basically 23 and 9 on, on you know, 50 plus percent shooting so he's still having an an all-star you know potential all-nba type year but for for anthony davis standards which is you know top five guy in the league he has not been quite that and i think he he was starting to look more comfortable be more involved in the offense and and starting to play just better overall 
So this isn't good timing for the Lakers from that perspective. But I do think overall he has dealt with some some nicks and knacks this year. You know, it, it seems to just be he, he's you know he does have that injury prone history of you know, he, he always seems to miss ten to twenty games every year. Um, so so you know them addressing this and, and kind of putting this to bed now versus it lingering and, and being something he's dealing with come playoff time. Like I think that's obviously of high importance for the Lakers. So I, I do think that while this, you know, there's no great time for a star to miss. If you're going to miss the last, you know, two, two and a half weeks before the all-star break and, and then get an extra week, you know, tacked on uh, on top of that, this is probably the time for him to miss. So I, I think in a way it, it did kind of work out for them. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I remember at, when the Lakers won the championship in the bubble and, you know, there was this sense of like, I think LeBron spoke out publicly on rumors that the when the next NBA season, the one we're currently in, would start. And there was a discussion around LeBron basically like, they're going to have to like not have him play a whole bunch of minutes because he just got out of the bubble, just won a championship. And then the season started like a month later or whatever the time frame was. But LeBron's, up, you know, he's averaging the most minutes on the Lakers do you think that there's a concern that while Davis is out, it just puts even more pressure on LeBron, who's however old he is at this point? You know, like, are the Lakers worried at all that they're going to begin to ask LeBron, too much of LeBron? Or is he going to even be protected as much as Anthony Davis is being protected right now? I, I think that is a concern. Um, and you, you saw that, you know, they had a. Uh, the three straight overtime games last week. And, you know, it was the first time that LeBron had played 40 plus uh, minutes in the regular season in, in three consecutive games since 2017, you know, so, and it was January of 2017. So it was, you know, basically directly four years ago was the last time he had had a workload like that in the regular season, which is to say nothing of, you know, his shots and, and his usage and, um, you know, AD missed a couple of those games. So I, I think, you know, the Lakers are aware of it. You know, one thing is that that, that kind of complicates it is that LeBron is anti-rest, anti-load management. He has publicly said that multiple times uh, and basically said he's not going to take any games off if he's healthy enough to play. Now, wh one way the Lakers can, you know, I, I guess sort of load manage him is just to rest him in games and, and, you know, be more selective with his minutes. And they actually started that way. You know, if you look at the first 12, 15 games of the season, LeBron was actually averaging a career low in minutes by by almost you know six seven minutes, but since then there has been a surge. It has coincided a little bit with AD missing some time, and I do think they have to be very careful because you know LeBron is thirty six, and and we have not seen someone perform at this level at the age of thirty six with, with this level of durability, and it, you know it only takes one little tweak, one one little injury to upset that, and. You know, for, for as good as Anthony Davis is, you know, the Lakers are the Lakers, you know, or this iteration of the Lakers because of LeBron, right? Like he is the guy who sets the table. He is the MVP, uh, you know, favorite right now or, or, you know, in that conversation. And and for him to miss any time, you know, that, that would be devastating for the Lakers. So I do think that you got to find the balance. This is a tough schedule. You know, I, I've written about it now twice, like this nine game slate that they're going to have without AD is pretty challenging. You got the Nets, you got the Jazz, uh, Trailblazers, Suns. Like they have some difficult matchups. Um, so I think they're gonna have to be careful because if you're not, uh, you know that that's how you, you lose a championship. Uh, is something happening to LeBron?
You know what's interesting? So, this being a Nets podcast, the second that the Nets, I mean, the second that they signed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, um, it was all about projecting, like, how good are the Nets championship chances? And, you know, it increased even more when James Harden, of course, the James Harden trade happens and you have those three players. And you sort of survey around the NBA and you look at who, you know, you get to that point where you're just looking at matchups, right? I mean, you covered the Clippers last year and you were looking at the matchups for the Clippers and who would be good and who wouldn't be so good. And for the Nets, it's a similar thing. And there's a glaring weakness on the Nets, which is DeAndre Jordan's their only big man. And they're going to have to play Joel Embiid or Giannis if they want to get through the East. And if it's the Lakers, you know, and hopefully Anthony Davis is fully healthy, Anthony Davis is going to be there, right? So, but I want to look at the, for the Lakers for a sec. They are the reigning champs. They added Schroeder, um, Montrez Harrell. What, is there an identifiable big picture weakness that you've seen with this team that is something, maybe not on the scale of like not having a center that the Nets do not have at the moment, um, but something like that. Is there, you know, pardon the pun, an Achilles heel of some kind for this team right now? Well, the, the way Laker fans talk about it, uh, they, they basically <laughs> treat it as if they don't have a center, uh, you know, <laughs> with, with Marcus Gasol and Montrez Harrell. Um, so I, I think there, there's a couple weaknesses. Um, I think one is the center spot in that they downgraded defensively. Like Marcus Gasol and Montrez Harrell are not the level of defenders that JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard were. And, you know, Mark statistically ha- has been he's regressed the last couple of years, but, but was still a good defender statistically. And, and that hasn't necessarily been the case this year. Um, you know, the, the starting group has, has been pretty good uh, and, and he's been, you know, part of that, but he really is a matchup based player at this point where if, you, if you're, you know, facing a, a Nets team where they're going with Katie or, or Jeff Green at the five, like Marcus Soule cannot be out there. Uh, you know, if, if DeAndre Jordan's playing, sure. But if he's going up against a five out system, you know, you can't really play Marcus Soule at this point. Montrez Harrell, you know, we, we saw in the 2020 postseason, he can be exposed in the pick and roll. Uh, you know, if you're for, you know putting him in rotation, uh, he doesn't always make the, the best decisions. He's not always on time. And at six foot seven, you know, he's basically as small as it gets at the center position in, in the NBA right now. So I think there are some legit concerns with both of those guys as rim protectors, as defensive rebounders. Um, at the highest levels, right? Like, I don't think it's a concern in the first round. I don't even think it's probably a concern in the second round. But once you get to conference finals, finals, that becomes a little bit of a concern. Uh, now the Lakers can can just shift AD to the five, which they did in the postseason. But is he going to play 30, 35, 40 minutes at the five? Because he wasn't really doing that last year. You know, they still had Dwight playing a little bit. They still had JaVale playing a little bit. Um, so to go fully to AD at the five, which I think they might have to do, that's a lot to ask of him. And the second thing would just be three-point shooting, which the Lakers actually started the year off as a top 10 uh, and top five at various points, uh, three-point shooting team in terms of percentage. But that has regressed now. And you know they've really struggled over the last couple of weeks. And I think really one thing that's going to determine whether this team needs to make another move or not is can guys like KCP, Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso, Wes Matthews keep defenses honest? Because, you know, the strategy against LeBron and AD is obviously, you know, double them, load up on those guys. And, hey, if you want to give Alex Caruso, uh, you know, 10 three-pointers a game, give it to him. Like, you know, we'll let him take that shot. And Alex Caruso has to be able to make that shot. And, and he has 
this season. But I think the question of does that hold up into the postseason uh, is really something that I think is going to determine the Lakers' future. Yeah, it's just fascinating to think. So we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, and the Lakers and Nets play on Thursday night. And it's like to think that, you know, you can't go too crazy. You can't go too far down the line and be like, that's going to be the matchup. You know, there's so much that could happen, so so much uh, variance that could happen in the NBA. But the potential of KD, Kyrie, Harden versus LeBron and AD, the rating champs, I mean, that is like a level of like basketball excellence that you really we haven't gotten too much of in the finals. Like I even think back to the Warriors teams that played the Cavs and played LeBron. And of course, Kyrie was at a certain level and Kevin Love were at a certain level. But really, like when the Warriors were at full strength, it felt like the Warriors were just a much better team. And in most of the series they were. But if these two teams meet now with LeBron, I mean, he's he's an MVP candidate as he always is. AD is a beast as he is. And the Nets have their threesome. It's just like it, it it's an almost like unprecedented level of talent that we that we would see in the finals. Um and there's so many sub, subplots too, I think you that we would find interesting, right? It's like KD always has is kind of measured himself against LeBron. So you'd get that rematch again. Kyrie against LeBron. You know, they have their relationships. Harden going for his first championship. Um, to, you know, the Lakers trying to repeat. And if LeBron repeats, it's like, I don't know if you, we, I, I think it would be the most interesting final, right? I think if it's Lakers nets, that's about as good as we could get in the NBA. A hundred percent. And, and you didn't even mention LA, New York, right? Like that, that is, um, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd say that's a rival, like it's obviously not a rivalry between the Lakers and the nets, but I mean like city wise, I, I think there, there's something there with like, those are the two biggest cities in, in the country and, and sort of um, like, you know, I, I think most people are an LA person or a New York person. And th- there's kind of a, a bit of some, you know, like which city's better. And then, so I think, I think there's something to that, but no, I, I'm totally with you. Like I, I agree. I, I, I can't even think of like, you know, I, I think, I guess Warriors Cavs comes close. Although I think guys like Love and Thompson and Draymond aren't on the, the level of like a Harden or a Kyrie or an AD. Um, you know, obviously you still have Le- LeBron and KD in, in the matchup. Uh, and then you go back to like that Heat-Thunder series, but but the Thunder were just at the beginning of their careers. And, uh, you know, th- those guys weren't what, you know, we know them as now. And then you probably have to go back to the 80s to really see like this level of, of star power in some of those Lakers-Celtics matchups. But even then, like, you could be talking about five top 12 players, five top 11 players. Like I, I don't, you know, I guess it depends where you put Kyrie, who, who I would probably put as, as the fifth guy uh, in the matchup. Like, I mean, I just don't know if we've ever seen that in a finals before. So um, I think it's, it would be a great matchup. Like you said, so many built-in storylines, LeBron versus KD, LeBron versus Kyrie. Um, I do think that it, it, the, the matchup's really interesting because, both teams present matchup problems for the other one. Like I, I think, I mean, the, the Nets just propose so many matchup problems for every team where, you know, most teams don't have two elite defenders, let alone three. So, you know, you're, you're kind of always at a disadvantage when, when trying to match up with their perimeter guys. But then on the flip side, I think AD is like the ultimate small ball, 
um, you know, disadvantage for, for a defense where you put AD at the five and it's just like, how do you guard him? Like, are you putting KD on him? But then who's guarding LeBron? And, and um, I think the, you know, LeBron is, uh, you saw it in the, in the, the finals against the Warriors. You, you've seen it at times in the playoffs. Like LeBron is merciless with his hunting guys in the pick and roll. And I, I totally think he will hunt Kyrie Irving and James Harden um, in a potential final series. So you, you kind of have that chess match going on. So I, I think there's so many different storylines and I'm very interested to see how the game plays out Thursday. Like does Kevin Durant play, you know, how do the Lakers approach it? How do the Nets approach it? And um, I think we're, we're going to leave that game with, with a lot of excitement, but also I think more questions th- than answers. Yeah. I think with the, the element of the fact that like, because the Nets are so bad on defense and that Kevin Durant is the Nets best defender, is it almost by default and the position he plays, he will have to guard LeBron for significant stretches more than, you know, he's ever had to guard the other team's best player, you know, or the most ball controlling player, right? Like, because you can't put, I mean, you could put Harden on LeBron at times, right? Like Harden is a better post defender, not like LeBron's playing out of the post, but you could kind of do that. You can't do Kyrie LeBron. Of course you can't do that. The Nets are starting Joe Harris. If you're putting Joe Harris, you know, on LeBron for the full stretch of the game, that's that's just Joe Harris is a better defender than people think, but he's just like that's not his that's not his talent. And then it's DeAndre Jordan, right? You know, and DeAndre Jordan's still starting at this point. Sometimes it's Jeff Green. But if Jeff Green, you know, like basically that is what is exciting to me. Is that you're, you know, typically when you have these sort of star-laden matchups, the stars still don't guard each other. Like maybe they guard each other for the last 4 minutes of the game. Because the Nets have the overwhelming offensive force and because they have such a lack of defense, it's going to force Kevin Durant to guard LeBron for long stretches of the game. And that's going to that's just going to be, you know, we just don't see that, you know, like that doesn't just doesn't happen frequently. Um, And I think like Kevin Durant, again, he he has he has brought up many times before about, you know, when he won the championship with the Warriors that he, you know, somewhat bested LeBron. So I, I think there's it's not that, you know, they have a good relationship, but I think there's something there that he's excited for in that potential matchup. Um, before we go, um, how one more time on Anthony Davis injury. Is this something that is like, because, you know, you read about ten, uh, is it tendinosis? Is it tendinosis or tendinitis? T- tendinosis, which is degenerative. Right. How... Is there a sense? I mean, you're you're doing Zoom interviews and Zoom press conferences, right? So it's hard to get like a true sense of the team. Is there a sense of how concerned the Lakers are? Is this something they feel like is manageable, or do they feel like, like you know, we just don't know with this injury quite yet? I, I think they're they're preaching calm optimism. Um, I I think that. So I, I actually talked to um, Dr. Rajpal uh, Brower, uh, who is uh, at uh, C, uh, 3CB Performance on, on Twitter uh, for a story I did earlier in the week. And he was basically saying that um, he, he thinks it's probably – the injury has probably been miscast publicly because AD actually came out on Friday and said that uh, it's not his actual Achilles tendon, but rather the, the area around it. And, and you know, there's a bunch of tissue and – 
these things called sheaths. Like I've learned so much about the Achilles <laughs> the last few days. Um, so basically like it's an inflammation and, and soreness in that area. And that can cause Achilles issues and that can cause an Achilles rupture. Uh, so, you know, the Lakers just have to treat it, manage it and, and just be cautious with it. So that's why giving him, you know, basically a month off to rest is, you know, invaluable because it is going to allow them to work through that and sort of get that soreness away. Now, it has been reported by both the team and uh, ESPN that he has tendinosis, which is an entirely different thing. And that actually affects the Achilles tendon that is degenerative. Um, you know, it, it's similar to, you know, Kawhi had that uh, degenerative tendon in his quad and, and we saw he had to load manage. So it's unclear what exactly AD has. Like all we're going off of is is what's been you know, basically publicly said by the team and, and publicly reported. So based on that, it seems like right now that the current issue is more of inflammation and a sore calf. But if it is actually tendinosis and, and you know, that is something that's bothering him, that is something that is a longer term concern that can linger. So, um, I, you know, I don't have that answer right now. I, I don't have access to his medicals. And even if I did, I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> necessarily understand it. But, um, that is something to monitor because if he does have tendinosis and this is a recurring thing, he might have to do some form of load management or it might affect him deeper into the season or, or deeper into his career. So, um, you know, I don't have an answer on that, but as of what's been you know basically said by the team right now, it's just a sore right calf. They're going to take it day to day, but most likely I think he's going to be out through the all-star break. Well, it's exciting to have this kind of game, um, on the calendar, right? I mean, there's only so many type of big deal games that we get. And this is this is one of the biggest ones. And it's a shame that AD's not playing because you'd want to see everyone at full strength. Um, but I think it's going to be Durant, Harden, and Irving. Kyrie's already sitting out the tonight's uh, Suns game, probably anticipation of the Lakers game. Um, so it's, it's just exciting that we're actually going to have this level of basketball being played. Um, Jovan... Thank you so much. You can read Jovan on The Athletic. One of the best, and uh, you're going to learn so much about the team when you follow Jovan on Twitter and read him. Jovan, thanks again. 